I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, having sung songs of praise together, thanks that you continue to speak a word to us. With your scriptures proclaimed, let us continue and let us hear from you that we might be inspired to be your people called the church, the body of Christ for the world. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in our third week of this Easter tide season. It's the season after Easter Sunday uh, where we look and focus together uh, traditionally at the, the church. Um, and last week we talked about what the church is not. So, what we have been talking about what the church is not. But last week we talked about how that phrase, the church, is not about this place, it's about us people that gather and go from this place to be the church in the world. And that's God's call on each of us, that we're not a show where we come to experience and then leave, but the church is in us, through us, as we enact God's love in the world around us. The week before, we talked about a very important beginning to what the church is, and that is the church is not earned. And a lot of us sometimes have this sort of like kind of living up to expectations or feeling like we're not good enough or, you know, perhaps we're trying to impress other people. But the church is none of that. The church is uh, the ragtag group of misfits known as the disciples leading uh, this messy thing called the church and God's love in the world around us with all of its flaws and fragments together. And so this week, we're going to talk about another church is not. And this one might kind of take you back, so you can stay with me a little bit. But this is, uh, the church is not about you. The church is not about you. Uh, And I want to talk a little bit more about what that means. Last week, we talked about how we, the church rhythms itself with loving God, loving one another, and loving the world. And we began by talking about how God first loves us, Uh, God loves us first before we ever love God. Well, this week, we're kind of piggybacking on that because we have the tendency to make things in life about us. Like, what are we getting out of it? And I remember my first experience of this within the context of church and faith was when I went to, and many of you know I tell stories about my time in Japan. It was very influential for me. But I went to uh, Japan, and I was at a Japanese Buddhist temple. It was actually up in uh, the forest hillside of Nikko. Um, it was a beautiful temple, and I would go there, and the supervisor that was with us uh, gave us a tour through this temple, kind of explained everything to us. And, you know, one of the things that you do if you've ever been to a Japanese temple, you know, you can either, like, put some incense in the kind of the entrance and light it, or you put some coins uh, at the various places throughout the temple, and you clap your hands, and it's supposed to you know, raise your spirits up to the gods. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that stood out to me, though, what, all of that was super interesting and fascinating, but what stood out to me was that the priests that were there didn't do any interacting with people. And you actually would be there, and you, if you've been, you know, like, they'll go in and you experience your experience, but the priests are, like, doing their thing inside the area that you're, like, separated from, right? And they're, and you don't, I don't really know what they're doing. Some people might. But, like, the idea is that they're going on with the religious ceremony without us. And, you know, the person that was describing this to me tried to do their best to say, you know, what they were doing and why it was so important. 
But, but what was most fascinating about it was that the experience of that worship, right, was happening with or without us as the people that were going there to also have, you know, some tourists were there, but then some people were there to actually worship. But the worship was happening with or without. And, and fast forward to the time when I was in seminary and I took a class. I was like late in the game in the Methodist church because when you go to Duke Seminary, you like have to like take all the classes in order that they want you to take. And I went in there thinking I was going to be a PhD student so that I could go and uh, on and become a professor. And so I took none of the Methodist classes that I was supposed to. So I missed the regular worship class. So I'm sorry I failed you. I didn't get to take that in seminary. Uh, but I ended up taking uh, what I thought was actually more meaningful was worship history. And we got these focus points throughout the history of the church, and we looked at the way each of the churches throughout those millennia worshipped and the differences they had in their worship service. Maybe you remember a few weeks ago, I mentioned that uh, when our keiki were kind of running around, I said, well, pews weren't invented until the 12th century within the context of the church. When you come to church, it would just kind of, the pastor would kind of sit on, a, would stand on a pedestal and everything would be preached from that in the center of the room and everything was kind of happening around that context. And, you know, people would be over here looking at the icons, light, maybe lighting some candles over here. But like worship was going on with lots of movement. And it wasn't until the 12th century where we installed these chairs into the sanctuary that things changed a little bit. And, and I find that super fascinating because what it like teaches me is that people have done this thing called faith differently and it hasn't been wrong, right? Because they've been doing it that way for a long time. All of a sudden, the longer than the church afterwards has been worshiping in that way and that didn't make it wrong. It just made it different. And I remember learning about Eastern Orthodox churches, and one of the things that they did is not too dissimilar than what I experienced at the Japanese temples. Uh, many, some of you might know we used to have these altar rails that would come up to like right here, but in uh, Orthodox churches, and some of them that is, especially back in like the 12th century, the altar rails would come all the way across. And they didn't just stop there. They actually built them up, built them up actually up to like here, and they're called iconostases, and they would put icons on the front. And you couldn't see as a worshiper anything that was happening up here. And, and in fact, you would just kind of like be along for the ride in the sanctuary. And it wasn't until later on in the service, if you've ever been to a Roman Catholic church or maybe an Eastern Orthodox church, there's this moment in the celebration of the, they call it the Eucharist, right? Because they celebrate communion every week, where you lift up the body of Christ and then there's chimes. Have you ever heard the chimes in a Roman Catholic church when they lift it up? Well, that actually what would happen is that the pastor would be at the altar behind it and they would lift up the Eucharist and there was like a hole in the iconostasis that would like show the, the body of Christ being lifted up. So the only thing that you could see in the worship service was this piece of bread being lifted up through this little window of the worship, right? And Brittany up here is laughing. It's just like really... It's just totally strange out of like our understanding. And the part of it, it's like, how, how would that even be worship, right? How would that even be worship? But the people in there, it, it wasn't about, one of the main things is that what was happening in the worship service 
wasn't about the people in the sanctuary. What was happening in the worship service was about what was happening in the altar space. And I'm not trying to say that's the right way to worship. Don't, don't hear me and say, Pastor Brian talked today about how we're going to be Eastern Orthodox now, right? But I'm just trying to say that there's a mentality that the worship service is about God and about what we're doing in the presence of God. And that was it. You know, if you've gone to a Roman Catholic church, they have these sort of, I forget the name of them, the vestibules, right? Where they hold the body of Christ prior to it coming out. Because the belief is that the bread and the cup are literally the blood and body of Jesus. And so they're sacred and they stay in this place until it comes out. And so the presence of God is in the room And the little chimes, they're meant to declare to the universe that God's presence is there. And the people got to see it. God's presence coming into that space. And that was their most participatory time of it. I mean, fast forward, some of you may be old enough to remember the changes within the Vatican I, Vatican II movements of the church. And there was a time when the priests would literally read the scripture to the crucified Jesus, and they would do the entire liturgy in Latin so that everyone in the congregation may or may not know what's happening, but the point was it wasn't important if you knew what was going on. What was important was that it was going on. And I remember I, as a pastor in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, it was a larger church, and we had an organist, a full-time choir director, and we had our staff meetings where we'd talk about what we're going to be preaching about, what we're going to be singing. And he was always the one, when we were talking about like what to choose and why to choose it, he was always the one that would chime in at the, like, the most important points and remind everyone, whether it was like we're trying to choose a song that people liked or trying to think about like the flow of the worship service so that everyone kind of feels engaged with it. And he would chime in, his name was Tim, and go, you know, let's just remember who the audience is for a moment. Let's just remember who the audience is for a moment. The audience is not the congregation. The audience is God. The audience is God. And he would remind us as leaders of the church a similar sentiment that worship, when we gather together, is not about us. It's about God. Like, that's what we're choosing to do when we gather, is to give God praise and to give God the love back to God. Remember, God first loved us. This isn't about earning God's love, but it is about kind of going and giving something back that's not about what we get out of it. I was in college at Azusa Pacific University. It was a Christian school, and we had the privilege of uh, watching The Passion of Christ before it actually came out in the theaters. Um, and so we got to like watch it together. And I remember, you know, we got out afterwards and everyone was talking, it was this emotional experience that we had. And I remember a lot of people started talking and say, I, I can't believe Jesus did that for my sins. Can't believe Jesus did that for my sins. And it wasn't too much longer afterwards that my theology professor read a, like kind of a phrase from the theologian that later on I would you know, study under at Duke, Stanley Hauerwas. And he goes, Stanley goes, Leave it to American Christianity to walk away from the passion of the Christ and think to themselves, 
how significant the death of Jesus was for them personally. How narcissistic are we to think that this was about me alone? And the reason he said that is God could have fixed the situation of sin in the world without Jesus dying on the cross, right? And he doesn't subscribe to this theory of atonement that like God's this almighty judge that has to take down the punishment on someone because, you know, we had done something wrong. Instead, his theory of atonement is around God's presence in all places, even the darkest of moments like the cross. And so the idea wasn't about, you know, God doing this thing for me personally. It's about God being in the world with the suffering of the world. And there's a personal component to that, but there is always a corporate component to that. And to kind of show you a little bit more what Howard Ross means, he's not trying to like say personal faith is not part of it, but the corporate faith is also part of it. So I want to invite up to with us uh, a kind of a demonstration, if you will, and have our, our amazing praise team. We had a, a praise night last night for our youth, and it was really amazing. They had um, awesome music, and I was just so thankful uh, for our, our team and everything they do. But I want to just do some, and I'm really bad at music. So some of you know I'm not like a very good music person, but I do know some things. And one is that there's differences in how we sing. And the first is what we probably all know, and we can sing kind of, which is melody. Can you sing for us a melody? So this is like when you, it's easy, right? We can all do that, just you know, no problem, right? Like just sing the like notes that are played on the piano. We're all singing together the same thing. Now, if you didn't know, they normally don't sing like that when they're singing up front. They actually sing something different, and that something is called harmony. And so harmony is a little bit different because each of the singers are singing just a tiny bit different. And so let's hear the difference of harmony. And it adds depth, right? All of a sudden now, you know, like you have a deeper, richer sound. And in fact, some of the churches back, you know, like hundreds of years ago would do 16-part harmony. Actually, the Wesley brothers simplified it into often four or eight-part harmonies because people just couldn't even keep track with all the harmonies. And you'll know Daniel, our choir director, he works really hard to try to bring that together and balance the voices. Now, let me show you kind of what I, and that's super easy too, right? So I'm going to, can I jump in with you? Yeah, let's do that one more time. Ready? Amen. 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 There we go. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank you for that, right? We do the latter part of it, Right? We take this thing that is meant to be a harmony, and we start thinking that, and you know what I, I can do is I can be like, well, Lane, you're great, but it was just like a little flat next time, okay? And then Mel, you're just like just a half step late, so next time could you jump in? And then Bethany, you're pretty good, but you just need to practice it a few more times, right? 
So what we'll do is like, we'll take this thing, hello church, and we'll jump in and think it's about us. And then we'll like look to someone else and they were clearly like working together in this thing called harmony. And then we think it's about us. And then we start like, we'll like piece it apart and be like, well, you know, but like, come on, we really need to do like two of these type of songs. And you know, well, that was a new song. I really didn't connect to it. So, I mean, uh, let's just do some of the familiar ones or maybe we need some music that's on the pop station, right? Like on like the Apple 100 praise songs. Come on, can't we freshen it up a little bit? We, we think it is about our experience as we leave from the place. And it is, friends, that each of their voices, like Lane, Mel, and Bethany, not mine, are like, they bring something to that worship experience as they sing. And it's important for them. But it's only together, right, that it starts to do something different. And if you've sung in a band, I know just enough to know that usually one of the things that, like, breaks them apart is when like the lead singer or lead guitarist thinks it's all about them right and that they just like are so hard to work with because like it all revolves around their attitude their vision their like yada 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 and so to be part of the harmony is to be part of the harmony together and the audience of our worship is not us that gather the audience of our worship as we gather is God. And we only do that as we try to do it together in harmony with one another. And sometimes it won't always fit the needs, but the point is, is that we're giving back our love to God. And friends, it doesn't just, isn't just here in the worship service also. It's also in our daily lives together. The things that we do in our faith are not about getting closer to God, okay? The things you do in your life are not about getting closer to God. Like, so I've heard in, like, you know, read your Bible, you pray, you do that. It's not doing any of that thing. It's not changing your salvation. It's not changing those things. All it's doing is devoting ourselves back to God. And devotion is not transactional. Devotion is not about what you're getting from this activity, but it's called giving yourself to this. That we're, our love of God has this part that comes to us, but it also has the devotion component that we are all too good about making it about what we get but it really is about what we give and give back to God. We give of our time when we read scripture and we, and we learn, and yeah, we're going to learn more about the Bible and about all that. We give time to God and to others and we pray for one another in the world. I mean, how, how anemic would a prayer life be if I sat there and I prayed and the only thing I ever prayed for was those, you know, darn like reviews that are coming up for me, Right? And those like challenges that I'm about to face. Because prayer should be more than that. It should be about others and the world and about creation itself. We give back to give in this love of God. Jesus says the greatest commandment is this. To love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I added an extra. 
This wasn't a new thing. All of those listening, the Pharisees, would have heard ringing in their ears the Hebrew from Deuteronomy. Ahad, Shemach yo Israel, Ahad Arahenu. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Then it goes on to say, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This has been the desire of God for God's people since the beginning of the church, to love God, to begin since the beginning of God's people. And it's not just about what God's people get, although they get things. They get the land flowing with milk and honey. They get, you know, all sorts of things along their journey. They also get walking through the wilderness. <laughs> they also get persecution. They also get all sorts of things. But what they do is they give their love back to God in devotion and praise and worship of God. And so I use those examples at the beginning of these churches that were so distant from us because they weren't getting much out of that experience. It was more about what was being given back to God by the priests in that context. And now I don't think that that's the way, obviously, I lead worship differently than that. But what's important from that lesson, a takeaway, is how are we in our devotional life aiming the focus of it? Not at necessarily always being a better person or getting more sense of God's love, but to do it just to give it. And when we come to worship, that being the focus is to sing in harmony with all of these unique and beautiful people that are here with us, even when it's not actually singing in harmony and we're just singing in unison, we're doing it together. That we're worshiping and giving our love back to God. So friends, the church, I'm afraid, is not about you. The church is about God. So let us give back our praise, our honor, and our glory, and let God's praise ever be on our lips, because that's a way that we can give God just a flavor back of what God has already given to us. I invite you to pray with me. Loving God, we give thanks that you invite us, make us able to give our love and praise back to you. We give thanks that we get to participate in that beautiful harmony that is a song of adoration for all the good that you have done, for your presence that will never leave us. And somehow as we give our praise back to you, make us into the body of Christ, the church, to be hope, life, and joy for the world. Amen.